Founded in 1682 by William Penn, Europeans first settled in Pennsylvania in 1637, although several tribes of indigenous people occupied the land for centuries before this. Pivotal in the French and Indian Wars, the Seven Years' War, the American Revolution, and the United States Civil War, it is no surprise that with such a rich history, our state has developed a culture that is distinctive and multifaceted. Full of legends and real-life heroes who risked everything for their beliefs, today Pennsylvania retains strong elements of folk culture developed by a combination of ideologies practiced by the varied ethnicities of original settlers, Native Americans, and shared experiences. Legends and lore passed down over centuries reveal philosophies that are as superstitious as they are religious and even scientific, resulting in a microculture found nowhere else. You are listening to Pennsylvania Life, Legends, and Lore, where we believe that behind every great story, there is a nugget of truth. In each episode, your hosts, Ethan and Holly, will attempt to uncover that truth and preserve a part of our incredible Pennsylvanian lifestyle. Hey everybody and welcome back to Pennsylvania Life Legends and Lore. So today you have me, Holly, your host, and I'm missing my little co-host or however you want to call it, I guess we're both main hosts, Ethan. He is out today, but I have our researcher Megan. She is here with me today to give you guys a little bonus episode between now and hopefully by the end of 2023. So Meg is going to help me tell you guys all about our three holidays that we just had. So we had Halloween, Thanksgiving, and Christmas and a surprising history about the three of them that at least I and I'm sure most of you have never heard. So we're gonna call it Hallowgiving Mus. <laughs> <laughs> because apparently, once upon a time, Halloween, Thanksgiving, and even Christmas did not exist, and it wasn't that long ago. And it seems that once the leaves start to fall, the calendar is at a race from one eating holiday to the next. But the part that we didn't know is that until the Great Depression, these holidays were pretty much combined into one holiday. History claims that the tradition of trick-or-treating didn't become a yearly occurrence in the U.S. until the mid-1900s when Halloween's meaning began to shift and the holiday was transformed into a more communal festival. However, the concept behind collecting candy at your neighbor's door traces further back than you'd assume. The unique ritual used to hold a different name and meaning and unexpectedly took place every year on Thanksgiving Day. And yes, we did say Thanksgiving, which was when children would dress up and go door to door begging for treats, and some adults played impish pranks as part of the holiday celebration. So here's the history of how Halloween, Thanksgiving, and Christmas were once one holiday that eventually split into three. Who knew? So let's talk about the origins of these a little bit. You know, today Halloween is about costumes and candy and pumpkins and trick-or-treating, but it actually didn't start out that way. Halloween finds its origin in a Celtic celebration, which is it's called Samhain. And the Germanic tribes also had Perchenloft. I don't know if that... <laughs> Sounds good enough to me. I don't know if that's actually pronounced correctly. <laughs> and Krampusnacht. And these were, for both cultures, a series of traditional harvest celebrations leading up to the winter solstice. So they'd start in the end of October, and you'd have different celebrations on different days, different nights, all the way up until the winter solstice. And, you know, long story short, the Romans came in, conquered all these territories, bring in their own tradition. And as a result, these three celebrations kind of blended and expanded throughout Europe. So the, the origins of Halloween go back 2000 years to that celebration called Samhain. And it marked the end of the harvest season and ushered in the new year. The celebration occurred on November 1st, but the festivities would always kick off the night before. 
And during Sowen, it was believed that the veil between the worlds of the living and the dead were thin. So people could communicate with loved ones who would pass on. And then the night of October 31st, it was believed that the ghosts of the dead returned to earth. So to appease their gods, the Celts burnt crops and animals as sacrifices. They also lit bonfires and created jack-o'-lanterns to ward off evil, evil spirits. Not entirely sure why they thought jack-o'-lanterns right, would like, scare what's away do? <laughs> I kind of feel like um, an evil spirit is a lot more scary right. than... I feel like we're going to have to do a deeper dive into jack-o'-lanterns at some point because <laughs> I don't really understand that and like... Why are there candles? Like, why do we light them? Like, why is that going to ward off evil? Like, that makes no sense to me. Yeah. That um, might be something for the future. Maybe. <clears throat> so the, the villagers would attend bonfires, ceremonies, and costumes. And these costumes, I mean, I personally think this sounds creepier than, like, mm -hmm. even the evil spirits. But there were animal heads and skin. So they'd wear animal heads So and they're going to sacrifice the animals and then wear, wear their heads. heads. Like... Uh huh. Like yuck. gross. Yuck. I'm sorry. <laughs> that is no tradition that I want to be a part of. Yeah, but that's where the tradition of Halloween costumes first came from. And then the Celts also believed that the spiritual communication on Sowen made it easier for Celtic priests or druids to also predict the future. So there was a lot of like almost what we we would think of as psychic readings yeah. or seances or whatever mm -hmm. on that night. Which I feel like that ties in a lot with our traditional Halloween now. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And it's weird so that this sew-in yeah. is like, however we say it, like the thinning of the worlds mm -hmm. so you can have more interaction. Like I've, I've heard of that part before, but I've never heard of the actual sew-in, like, what is it like a fest festival? Yeah, yeah, and I Go hadn't right. I hadn't either, and like that that idea, that concept of the thinning mm -hmm. of the boundaries between the world of the yeah. dead and the world of the living, that actually permeates multiple cultures all over the world. It's, okay, it's kind of amazing because you're talking about this concept that many many cultures have, and they would have never met each other. Mm -hmm. You know, if that you actually bizarre. look at history, it's kind of like the pyramids. Like, yeah. you have you have pyramids over in, you know, Central and South America. I mean, not, like, they're more like the step pyramids. Right, right. You have that that uh, engineering ability over mm -hmm. there, and you have, the, you see that in Egypt, and you see that in some of the Peloponnesian islands and, and things like they that. Don't have any sort of communication between each other to come up with these ideas. So yeah. it's bizarre that they're all coming up with these similar things, but somehow all on their own. Right. Like, where does it come from? Like, what's the source? Right. Yeah, that's kind of pretty, pretty interesting to me. Yeah. But you know, it's like, and and they wouldn't have had any way of knowing even that other culture existed. I mean, right. It's not like they were taking ships all over right. the world right. at that time. Right. So. Perchinloff. <laughs> <laughs> Which is how we're going to say it. How you are going to say it. <laughs> that was an ancient Germanic and Central European festival that typically occurred in early November. And it was also meant to drive out or scare away the ghosts of winter and help bring a, a fruitful harvest. Um, so uh, the farmers would, again, wear terrifying masks the thought that this would scare ghosts away. Perchin, as they call it, I think, <laughs> <laughs> took two forms. Some were bright and beautiful and others were ugly and terrifying. So you'd have like two different types of costumes. You'd have like bright, beautiful costumes and then you'd have things with fangs and tusks and horse tails. And so you wonder why the difference is one supposed to like entice nice ghost and some is supposed to scare off the demons like yeah it's just weird to me that there's such such a variety like pretty ugly yeah like 
I mean, I would much rather be the pretty one so I don't have to wear an animal True. head. Maybe <laughs> people just said, well, we're going to split these up so we don't have to wear these disgusting, <laughs> ugly things. I, I there think, could be no reason I think at maybe all. the women started that because I really doubt like you'd get too many women That's who'd true. be like, oh yeah, stick up animal part on yeah, me. I'll no, wear that. Like, definitely not. No. They'd probably be like, what are these men doing? Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so men dressed up as the ugly perchin, typically, during the 16th century. And they would go from house to house and they would drive out bad spirits or evil spirits and bonfires and candles were lit to keep darkness at bay and you have to think about this like when you're talking about the region that this was in like this is the black forest region mm -hmm. um it's it could get pitch black like i mean you're talking before there is right you know right. everybody just had candles as soon as the sun went down right and in some of the more northern climates, that was, I mean, it's sort of like today, like our area today. Right. It gets dark at 3.30, 4 o'clock. Right. <laughs> right, you feel like it's like 10 o'clock when it's like 6. Right. And Krampusnacht, the origins for Krampusnacht were Krampus night. They're found over 2,000 years ago in the pre-Christian societies of central, the Central and Eastern Alps. So Switzerland, Southern Germany, and western austria the krampus is effectively if you guys haven't heard of this i mean krampus kind of has come back mm -hmm. but he's a demonic creature and he he's often looks like a devil has horns it's like sometimes pictured half human half animal but he symbolizes the onset of the dark nights and the pressures of surviving in that kind of climate you think of like the, how cold the Alps probably gets in winter and how isolated you're going to be because there's a ton of snow that comes Yeah, down. that'd be terrifying. Yeah, like, I mean, people could literally get snowed in. So he's kind of like the Grim Reaper. Like, yeah. he's, he's coming for you, so you better, like, take care of yourself and be prepared. Yeah, I mean, and you kind of, like, can't blame them for having a, a, a rowdy drunken festival right, right. before no. this because right. it's like hey, it could be your last hurrah we could die right <laughs> exactly exactly we why not go out having fun yeah if we run out of food <laughs> and we can't get out of our house and right. like we could either freeze to death or starve to death and so Ooh. like let's have a party right exactly why not <laughs> so people within these regions held the the festival um the krampus knot on the 5th and 6th of December, um, and Krampus clearly was featured heavily. Um, and then when the Romans came in, they celebrated two holidays in the month of December. The first was Saturnalia, which was a two-week festival that honored their god um, of agriculture, which was Saturn. And on December 25th, they, they celebrated the birth of Mithra, which is their sun god. And both celebrations were pretty wild. They're just hopping parties. Well, it sounds like they had like parties the whole time, like a two week festival. Yeah, I mean, and I kind of feel like we should bring that back. A, like, a little, yeah. Just have parties from October 31st through. Kind of is just one <laughs> giant party. Yeah. And so the Romans conquered um, most of Europe into the British Isles, the, which would be Celtic territory by 43 AD. So they brought all their cultures and false fall festivals with them. And there was also a Roman October celebration called Feralia. I think I'm saying that right. We're just going with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that commemorated the passing of the dead. And so you can see how, like, as they conquered, like, all of these things mixed because mm -hmm. you had people from different cultures, different backgrounds intermarrying. They mm -hmm. continued to celebrate the same um, holidays and festivities, but it eventually, like, combined. Right. And the they merging sort of, of the two. And yeah. you have your holiday this day and I have mine. Why don't we just make it one? Yeah, and one thing that I thought was interesting is um, another Roman holiday, Pomona, I think that's how you say it, 
is they honored the Roman goddess of fruit and trees and it's celebrated at their harvest so like sometime in the late summer and early fall and this is actually where bobbing for apples came from because this is something that they did during the festival they would bob for apples but you wonder too like so bobbing for apples is just a weird thing to think to do anyway like so did they just have that many apples that they were like oh we're throwing them in this bucket like of water and somebody just stuck their head in it and like ate one <laughs> like, <laughs> how does that come to be i like, don't i don't it's know. very bizarre it is bizarre i mean <laughs> i maybe a deeper dive into some of these things would be another yeah episode but it's it's very interesting because like as we talk about where these came from you can really see mm -hmm. okay that makes sense like right. we we still do this right like, yeah that's that's kind of where Halloween started mm -hmm. now we're gonna dive into where does Christmas fit into all of this so the origins of Christmas stem from the combination of Celtic German and Roman cultures. And then fast forward a few centuries and the festivals that would become Halloween, Thanksgiving, and Christmas evolved. So as Christianity spread across Europe, the Christian clergy attempted, but were not able to curb the pagan customs and the celebrations. So later Christianity influenced the festivals and they were Christianized to better fit into scriptural events and concepts. So religious holidays were introduced into the ancient celebrations and pagan ritual, which rituals ooh, were adapted into the new religious festivities. So All Souls Day was on November 2nd, and it served as a time for the living to pray for the souls of the dead. All Saints Day, or All Hallows, honored the saints on November 1st. So that made October 31st All Hallows Eve, which then later became Halloween, and the three-day holiday was collectively called Palotide. And since no one knew Jesus' date of birth, they adapted the Roman December 25th rituals into a celebration of his birthday. So over time, as Christianity took over, the pagan undertones of the holiday were lessened. As time passed, you can see there, an evolution began into what are modern holidays. So how the evolution of our modern Halloween started during the Middle Ages as the Christian Roman holiday of All Saints Day spread to other Christianized areas. And Halotide traditions merged with the local cultures. An early precursor to trick-or-treating is called souling, and that is a tradition of going door to door asking for soul cakes. It was a treat like biscuit that can be given an exchange for prayers for the dead in purgatory. These traditions also involve dressing up. There was a Scottish practice of guising, which was a secularized version of souling. The church didn't love it, but they put up with it because they, it was basically like, hey, we want to win all these people to God and mm -hmm. we can't eliminate <clears throat> everything they do, so we might as well just adapt it. Mm -hmm. They swap the prayers for tricks instead of the biscuit-like treat and the Scottish practice of guising. And the costumes evolved too, so they, they took a scary turn in the Scotch and Irish cultures. Pranksters got the idea to spook neighbors by dressing up as scary creatures. And then Halloween came to America after the Irish immigrants brought it over, Irish and Scottish Im immigrants. And the Pennsylvanian region the two major cultures to have settled here are the um, Germans and the Scotch-Irish. Mm -hmm. So what we end up practicing and doing is a very good combination of right. those two cultures. So eventually these traditions turned, evolved into trick-or-treating in the United States and the candy-grabbing concept became mainstream in the mid-1900s where families would provide treats to children in hopes that they would just be immune to any of the pranks <laughs> the kids pulled. <laughs> so like, hey, here's some candy, don't, right. you know, don't destroy, destroy our property. <laughs> right? <laughs> so Central Pennsylvania and Belschnickelings. This one kind of this ties goes in. off of too, if you've listened to our last release podcast specifically on Belschnickel. 
So in central Pennsylvania, Halloween traditions were equally, if not more heavily influenced by, and you're going to help Kirchin me Kirchinloff and Krampusnot. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to keep doing those because that's a rough one. As the Scottish-Irish traditions that pervaded in the state. So although the primal intensity of these old world celebrations is nowhere near matched in the Pennsylvania Belschnickel, it is comparable to Belschnickeling, which is a collective celebratory masquerade common in Pennsylvania communities in the mid-19th to early 20th centuries. This practice was a distinctly North American combination of the rural Belschnickel with the English practice of mumming, which is a form of masquerade accompanied by pagantry and theatrical street performances. So the Pennsylvania Dutch adopted the practice and renamed it in the spirit of their own Christmas visitor. So these diverse, diversely attired Belschnickels took to the streets with door-to-door -door performances. So unlike the severe and dualistic nature of the solitary rural or old world Belschnickel, these masqueraders always traveled in groups exchanging their antics for food and drink. So groups of friends dressed in costumes made of old or ragged clothes and worn handmade or store-bought masks, which would be anything to make themselves unrecognizable. So they, they called at houses in the neighborhood, and then after arriving at the neighbor's house, the homeowner would try to guess everyone, everyone's identity underneath the mask. A correct answer meant the Belschnicker had to remove his or her mask. Since Belschnickelers often traveled with their friends, a correct guess often provided a good clue as to whom the others in the group might be. So if the neighbor guessed incorrectly, the individual Belschnicker, Belschnickelers <laughs> <laughs> kept the mask on and the entire group went inside the house for refreshments. Dr. Seuss never probably cleaned right. that in any of his friends. <laughs> right? Say that ten times My so. goodness. So these, these people had to be prepared for... Yeah you know, these Belschnickelers to come in and, mm -hmm. depending on their group size, providing lots of refreshments for them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So accounts of Belschnickeling range from the southeastern Pencil from southeastern Pennsylvania and extended northward into Columbia, Luzerne, and Lackawanna counties, and as westward into Perry, Snyder, and Center counties. Belschnickelers typically made their appearance anytime between the week before Christmas and the New Year. As we're recording this, we're in that prime there. Yeah. So Belschnickeling began to fall out of fashion after the Great Depression, but it is continued in smaller valley communities up until the 1960s. So here, so like <clears throat> if you think about what that is, so you had people in costume mm -hmm. knocking on your door mm -hmm. at like, honestly, like you had to pre be prepared for like a two to three week period. Like depending That's on- That's true. That's like, true. For people to just randomly show up. Yeah. And if you can't guess their- who they are, you provide them with food. Right. At any time. A meal. At any time. Yeah. So this is how it evolved into like our modern day Thanksgiving. We can't be prepared can, like, for things that long. We need to know when and where things are happening. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, seriously though, like. That is a long time to think about it. Like mm -hmm. you don't think about it. Like I like have that. to have, and it's not like, like in some of these, this time frame, like in the 1800s, not everybody had like an ice box. Right. Right. Like so you need to make sure you have stuff, stuff that on hand doesn't need. I mean, there weren't refrigerators. Right. Yet. Like, <laughs> I don't think. No. I don't think so. No, they had ice boxes and like, <clears throat> if you were well to do, you had one in your house. But a lot of them had like cold springs and things like that, right. or outdoor things. But you had to be, you had to have something ready on hand. <laughs> like, that's a lot of prepping. Yeah. So this is how Thanksgiving kind of evolved from some of that. Thanksgiving is said to have originated in 1620. This is the story we're all told. Mm -hmm. When a group of pilgrims from England settled in Plymouth and formed an alliance with a tribe of Native Americans. And, you know, the net following year, the two groups shared uh, a harvest feast, an autumn harvest feast, to basically, as a way to thank each other and as a way to show their camaraderie and, mm -hmm. oh, aren't we so nice mm -hmm. and all that. And that was the first Thanksgiving. So while the feast did occur and last for three days. Yikes. Could you imagine? Oh my gosh. Eating. We're exhausted after just one meal. Like, imagine three days worth. Yep. There's actually no evidence that the 1621 feast was called Thanksgiving. 
and the event was not ever not repeated for at least a, a decade. It was actually more of a diplomatic event, marking the cooperation between the two cultures, and actually less of an expression of gratitude. Mm -hmm. And since the peace was short-lived, the celebration actually carries a very different connotation for modern-day Native Americans who mark its passing with solemn remembrance. There is no, like, party, there's no big feast, there's no... That makes sense. It's very solemn and, and kind of sad. Thanksgiving did not become a national holiday until 1863, when Abraham Lincoln set a specific date for the celebration for the entire country. And he did it as a way to bring the country back together. Setting a standardized date, date at the last Thursday in November to offer thanks for a blessing, he sought to just unify a contentious country amid the Civil War. So within a decade, the holiday began to take on new traditions. Poor families would travel door to door to rich neighborhoods asking for something for Thanksgiving. And then partly as a prank and partly because they saw an opportunity, children who didn't really even need the charity began to dress up in rags and beg for treats and alms. <laughs> children, my goodness. I know, they're on Santa's naughty list. Yeah, that's right. By the turn of the 20th century, Thanksgiving had taken on the moniker of Ragamuffin Day because these kids look like ragamuffins. All the kids dressed up as poor beggars, whether they were poor beggars or not. Which is so sad. Like, I'm sorry, but if you have things, like... Don't take. Don't take from those who don't. Like, oh yeah, yeah. Adults played along too, also throwing elaborate masquerade balls and marching through the streets of, uh, in New York City, they, they had like a parade. They marched through the streets of New York City dressed in just crazy costumes. And I think you all may understand where that's going. Yes. Um, <laughs> so the revelers in New York City called themselves fantasticals. That's just too, that's so fancy. Right. Like, <laughs> Fantastical. And then, of course, all of the shops <coughs> right. saw an opportunity to market absolutely. things. So absolutely. a whole industry was made creating uh, elaborate paper mache masks and costumes for the parade participants. And they, in New York City, this tradition was given the name Thanksgiving masking. And then the New York City brought it, the trend to the next level and they they decided, let's make this an annual parade and mm -hmm. commemorate this whole thing. And so they commemorated, they used the parade to commemorate both Thanksgiving and the British evacuation of New York. So like back to the American Revolution, when mm -hmm. New, the British left <clears throat> New York City, it commemorated both of them. So they made, they just you know, as, as they do, they took it to the next level and made right. it bigger. And people joined in masses, like just came, everyone would come out of their house, all dressed in costume, whether you're rich, you were poor or whatever. And children would prowl the streets on Thanksgiving morning, ringing doorbells, asking anything for Thanksgiving in the same like ragamuffin day spirit. Mm -hmm. Basically, by the 1900s, it was it was known as either as Ragamuffin Day, basically, mm -hmm. for short, instead of Thanksgiving. And you still had the Thanksgiving masking and all of that. But by the time the Great Depression set in in the 1930s, most people didn't really have anything to spare. So it evolved. Mm -hmm. It had to take a different tone on. So to cheer children up during those harsh conditions civic organizations basically decided we're going to do something different here. Halloween became popularized and distanced itself from the religious aspects of All Hallows Eve. Schools, town councils, things like that began to set up costume contests and parades around Halloween, which was a holiday that had been previously shunned by many, many religious establishments because of its pagan roots. And children didn't really start asking for candy on Halloween until around the Second World War. And then they had the partying kind of with Halloween in late October. And then Thanksgiving became more reverent and uh, evolved around family. 
So the costumes of Thanksgiving ma masking and ragamuffin day switched to Halloween. Mm -hmm. That followed with that Scottish tradition and Irish tradition of guising. And also like the perch and loft and the Krampus knot, mm -hmm. I guess. Yep. And children in costume would visit neighbors and ask for food or coins or candy after World War II. And it worked because Thanksgiving has now reverted to more of a more austere family-oriented holiday. And by 1950, trick-or-treating had shifted completely to Halloween. And then as far as the big parade, History claims that Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade debuted in 1924, not as a celebration of Thanksgiving, the late November holiday, but to increase excitement over Christmas. And then Macy, that was so successful the first year that they did it, they declared, uh, Macy's declared that the company would host another parade the following Thanksgiving, and the event's success just continued mm -hmm. to grow. And then in 1947, if you haven't watched it, you should. Shame on you. <laughs> Miracle on 34th Street just amplified that the popularity of that parade um, because the plot is focused on it. And the annual event became a Thanksgiving holiday tradition for pretty much every American mm -hmm. country. So It's funny to me that like the big separation between Halloween and thanksgiving came because of the depression like it makes sense like yeah okay so what can we do we don't have much but what can we do to kind of especially for the children make things a little fun yeah yeah give them something you know so that that separation was a way to give them that when mm -hmm. you didn't have much well i mean because it was more of a like it, it towns came together to put mm -hmm. on events for right. it like right. the parade the town came together to organize the parade and the like the community would come together to have a party right so it wasn't the whole weight of it wasn't on an Each individual. individual right and it made it kind of fun and i don't know like when i was like reading about that I, it in the town i grew up in we always like had a Halloween parade and then we would meet at the gymnasium at one of the schools and there would be judges that would judge oh. the best costume based on your age group. So it, okay. it's like some of that I can see still holding true right. in some of our small communities, but it was a way to make it fun without right. losing the whole tradition right. and right. taking the pressure off of families to provide people with food right. when they couldn't provide for their own. Exactly. So. Yeah. So Christmas in America. So Christmas in early America was a mixed bag. So many with Puritan beliefs banned Christmas because of its pagan origins and the raucous na nature of the celebrations. In fact, Christmas was banned in Boston in the 17th century along with a lot of other things. And anyone found celebrating was fined five shillings. Could you imagine that? Being fined? Yeah, for celebrating Christmas. Like, I think I'd pay the fine. <laughs> <laughs> Like, you broke the law. Right. You, you put up a tree and put, right. you know. Oh. Right. Try and bring joy and happiness and then you get fined. Mm. Other immigrants arriving from Europe continued with the customs in their, of their homelands. And the Dutch brought Sinterklaas Sint Sint yep. <laughs> with them to New York in the 1600s. So the Germans brought their tree traditions in the 1700s and each celebrated their own way within their own communities. Christmas really wasn't celebrated as a big holiday for a long time. And remember Washington crossed the Delaware on Christmas for a crucially crucial victory in the American Revolution because he knew he could take the... So the Hessian soldiers were kind of like from that um, Alpine region. They were fighting with the British and Washington crossed the Delaware, Delaware River on Christmas because he knew that all of those soldiers would be celebrating their Christmas Smart. and be drunk and be right. not well rested and total, totally unprepared right. for an attack. And it was a huge victory. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, that we have paintings of it. Like, there, you can go visit the you know, museums near that area and see all that. But I never really connected that. But that he did that because 
they they never celebrated Christmas here. Mm -hmm. So no one in the American colonies was celebrating Christmas. Right. So we were not off, off our guard. Right. We, like, were, you know, like, we're ready to go. Ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of neat. That was a neat little tidbit. Brilliant but, on his part. Yeah. So Puritan influences and opinions of the Christ of Christmas held once in the new country was formed. Early congresses were in session over Christmas, and in fact, the congressional ceremony after George Washington's death in 1799 was held the day after Christmas in Philadelphia because the con Congress was all there. However, there's a lot of evidence that holiday rejoicing started as the 19th century dawned. There's a lovely story from Lewis and Clark expedition in 1804 when the explorers had breached all the way to Oregon, but they were low on supplies and left with little food. Still Clark said in his journal that they were cheerful and he received a gift of two dozen white weasel tails from Sacagawea. Oh boy, everybody wants two dozen white weasel tails. <laughs> <all> right. Well, <laughs> I mean, at that time that was probably going to get him a lot of money, but mm. yeah, you. <laughs> well, so... Weasels aren't normally white, right? Or are they? I don't know. Like, I like think is that, that like? I think some of them can be white, okay. but I think the majority of them are like gray to brown. That's kind of what I thought. So I'm like, well, maybe the white ones are just ooh, more yes. like. I'm, I'm cool. sure it's probably white there weasel are tails. ladies who wanted a white weasel tail sewn maybe. to their coat. Okay, so we've got animal heads on our on our heads and white weasel tails on our coats. <laughs> but it wasn't until the early 1800s that the American Christmas began to take shape. Washington Irving wrote a series of stories of a wealthy English landowner who invites his workers to have dinner with him. Irving liked the idea of people of all backgrounds and social status coming together for a festive holiday. So he, <clears throat> so he told a tale that reminisced about old Christmas traditions that had been lost but were restored by this wealthy landowner. Through Irving's story, the idea of Christmas began to take hold in the hearts of American public. In 1822, Clement Clark Moore wrote an account of a visit from St. Nicholas for his daughters, and it is now famously known as The Night Before Christmas. And in it, the modern idea of Santa Claus as a jolly man flying through the sky on a sleigh took hold. I will say, I did read that story to our daughter on Christmas Eve, and... I always forget because it's the only time that I ever read it and it just cracks me up. So you're reading Santa Claus and she doesn't question it, mm -hmm. but you're saying he's dressed in all fur and he's like smoking a pipe and I'm like, sounds like a creeper. Hey. I'm like, and he, he, whatever, we're going to go with it. He rides a magical do. sleigh right. with flying reindeer. <laughs> right. right. Like it sounds very bizarre and obviously that part of it she doesn't really question because you know, but it just cracks me up that, like, she's listening to this. Maybe she's just not listening close enough, but I'm like, he's dressed in all fur with, you know, some soot on him, and he's smoking a pipe, and she just goes along, and I'm like, and he's okay. Because that's not what... He's grossly overweight with right. a bowl full of that, belly, yeah, like belly a bowl full of jelly. jelly. Yeah. So, like, it's not what she clearly, like knows a Santa so like I'm just surprised she doesn't like say more about it I guess but yeah, yeah just cracks me up a side note on that and this might be another another podcast but the sleigh mm. come like no very few versions of like Saint Nick or whatever has him in a sleigh but the sleigh comes from the Germanic god Odin okay so Obviously, like, when the Roman Catholic Church came through and was like, okay, we got to do something about all these things. What they created to be the St. Nicholas character, mm -hmm. the Germanic god Odin, was a god that was carried in a sleigh by reindeer. Oh. Interesting. Side note. Okay. Yep. Often pictured that way. So. Huh. So, it so gets, that's where it that gets, kind of... Yeah, it gets wrapped up because okay. of that. So, but anyway... Off that was that, a fun little tidbit, though. Off that tangent. So, on, uh, when did Christmas become what we know of? That is our national holiday. Why we all have less, you know, a couple days yeah. off. 
after the Civil War, the country was basically in a spot where they were, we were all looking for ways to move past the differences and become united again. So in 1870, President Ulysses S. Grant declared Christmas a federal holiday. And you think about that, 1870, yeah, it's a long time ago, but it really isn't that long right, ago. Right, And you think about all the time of history. Mm-hmm. It's very short. And Christmas wasn't actually celebrated by everyone in the world. Right. Like, like I mean, maybe not everybody in the world today celebrates Christmas, but I think most people know what it is. Right, exactly. Regardless of where you are. Right. It wasn't really a known thing mm-hmm. or something that was celebrated by a great majority of people. And to think we came up with so many traditions for it in such a short amount of time is kind of mind-boggling. So many states had already kind of named Christmas as a holiday. Um, The first was Alabama in 1836, but it wasn't until 1870 that was like officially a national holiday. And then during the Civil War, I love this because, you know, my art background, there's an artist called Thomas Nash and he popularized the Santa we knew today. We know it today. And he drew him as this fat bearded guy that's jolly, as mm-hmm. described in the Night Before Christmas poem. And that Santa was actually used as war propaganda by President Lincoln. <laughs> because there are flyers that you can see, and you can actually Google this and look this up. But there were there were ads and like cartoons and papers and political flyers where Santa is pictured in the Union camp visiting with the Union soldiers because those soldiers are good boys. (laughs) Nice. We don't don't go to the Confederate camps because those (laughs) soldiers are not good boys. I don't think it was that cut and dry, but, you know, it's kind of comical. Yeah. Later in 1881, Harper's Magazine hired... Thomas Nash to draw a depiction of Santa Claus for a Coca-Cola advertisement. And that is where we have, we developed this picture of a rotund Santa because he, he drew him rotund with his wife, Mrs. Claus, and he was surrounded by worker elves. And that is where we get Mm -hmm. all of it. In the red suit. It blows my mind that the red only comes because of Coca-Cola. Yep. Like, that's the that's only. It. That's the only reason. Like, I mean, if, if, if Pepsi would have hired him, it would have been blue. You know what I mean? Right. Obviously, that wouldn't have happened. Right. But like, but you think about that, like, because he, like, if you think about our last episode of Belschnickel, I mean, Belschnickel was basically that Germanic tribal, like, mm-hmm. old world Santa Claus. He yeah. was just dressed in, yeah, soot and fur. Right. Like, exactly. He was dirty and brown. Right. <laughs> like, right. Right. He wasn't this. Holly jolly, jolly, like yeah, but that's literally the red mm-hmm. comes from Coca Cola, right? So after this, the image of Santa as this cheerful, fat, white bearded man in a red suit became embedded in our culture, and it's amazing because while a lot of the tra- the Christmas traditions we have came from our European ancestry, over mm-hmm. Santa Claus came from America, right? And went, went back out. Right. Right. Santa Claus, this red suited, fat, jolly bearded man with right. Mrs. Claus and the elves, was created in America mm-hmm. and went back out. Right. And while a lot of our Christmas uh, traditions have adapted, though, I think probably Washington Irving's desire of having unity at Christmas and, and mm-hmm. giving back and that kind of thing does live on right does live on with our american santa but Mm -hmm. it's just it's kind of amazing it is weird to think like not that long ago like we didn't have all the holidays that we just went through and the craziness and that they kind of did all start as one giant hello giving mass yeah (laughs) and and like literally probably not until the 1920s Mm-hmm. was that Santa, like, cemented right. right in our culture. And actually, some of what I read was, like, um, when Miracle on 34th mm-hmm. Street was created, they have Santa in that, mm-hmm. you know, obviously. That really did more to create this iconic, because now you have it on film. 
That's so true. it did even more to create this iconic Santa Claus that right. we all know. Right. But you think about that, 1920 to 1940, like that is not no. that long ago. Not at all. I mean, you're talking, if you go back to the 1920s, like 100 years. Right. Right. Prior That's to that. Not that long. Most people didn't think of Santa Claus as mm-hmm. a right time jolly or didn't even I mean Center Claus would have been like the Saint Nicholas right that came over with the Dutch right and it's funny because my my grandfather was Holland Dutch and my mom remembers him singing it's actually in the Miracle on 34th Street movie but the there's a little song about Center Claus okay but he, like most most cultures had like there were similarities, but they had a different, a different take. Like mm-hmm. the the Dutch had like the tall, thin Santa Claus. Okay. And so it's just funny, like until like the nineteen twenties, really nobody thought of Santa Claus as well much of anything, and definitely not this fat mm-hmm. jolly. And you just wonder how like all the other traditions that like. He comes down the chimney. Mm-hmm. He eats cook. We have to leave him cookies and milk. Like all these different things. Like, but you can sort of are see supposed to be part of it. Like some of where that comes <clears throat> from. With the he comes down the chimney, he gets sit on him. Mm-hmm. Belschnickel. Mm-hmm. You want to leave him treats to appe to appease. Like that comes from that's the idea true. of appeasing. Okay, it's, yeah, that's the true. The spirits from, like, some of these, like, the right. Perchinloff and Krampus knot and the Samhain and the... So that's how they're still kind of tied together. That's sort of how, and that, that was that whole blending mm-hmm. and how so, they But fit. they still kept a little bit of each of it, even though when, when they separated, yep. they still have a little bit of that togetherness. And then, obviously, when it came over here, it took on a whole different life, too, mm-hmm. like, which you can see. But, yeah, it's 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 in there. It's just right tucked in, right. like, different little aspects. Mm-hmm. So, I think out of all of them, the one that kind of surprised me the most is Thanksgiving mm-hmm. and how it used to be more of what I think of as, like, the Halloween, where you go around and you mm-hmm. ask for things and you dress up and you, yeah. you know... It, that one seems to have taken the most... That's the most drastic. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it, it surprises me that it started off that way. Yeah, Halloween was not <clears throat> a thing until basically the Depression, mm-hmm. and they said, okay, let's move the the like the playfulness of right. the holiday over here, and right. we can do these little community mm-hmm. things, and then Thanksgiving can just be about families. Right. And right. that was even way after... Lincoln declared it a national right. holiday. Right. And like it's funny because you can even see in that history no one cared about the 1620. No. <laughs> like this this no. little like sit down pilgrim Indian thing it's that we're all that taught that's in what school. we're yeah, that's where we're like, oh, that's where it came from. Like we've been doing it ever since and you nobody know, really celebrated like, that or cared about that. No. no. There was and that wasn't even what it was really about. Mm-mm. Like, it wasn't about being grateful and thankful. It was about these two different people coming together. And, and trying to politically make an agreement. Right. Like, yeah, it's just bizarre that that's what we're... Like, why are we taught that way? Uh, because it's warm and fuzzy and nicer yeah. than the actual <laughs> true history. I guess so. Teaching little kids. So these were two warring nations. We came over and we brought our illnesses and disease and we took over their land and mm-hmm. we decided to basically annihilate them so we could start our own thing. And then we decided to have a dinner to politically, like, say, hey, we'll be friends with right. you if you be friends with us. And, you know, we'll stop killing each other right. over this. And, you know, you stay on your side and we'll stay on our side. Mm-hmm. And then, really, what happened is we just continued to right. annihilate each other right. anyway. Hence um, the solemnness <laughs> yes. of the day for them. Like, right. I mean, atrocities happen on both sides, don't right. get me oh, wrong. Right. Oh, Absolutely. But, like, you you don't teach, you know, could you imagine Riley and <laughs> like Guess t- what? Guess what? <laughs> Thanksgiving is right? all about two warring nations attempting right. not to kill each other. Right. <laughs> Pretty much. 
Oh, and some food. Yeah, throw in the food and everybody's happy. (laughs) My gosh. So as of today, our holiday traditions are continuing to evolve. You know, they didn't do Elf on the the Shelf a hundred years ago and oof, that one's holding out. Mm -hmm. Mm. And instead of trick-or-treating house to house, some deck out their vehicles in spooky tailgate fashion for community trunk or treats, which are often held in school and church parking lots which I do think that's becoming a, a safer option. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's why that's kind of... It's sad. It is sad. But yeah. But I don't want my kid walking up to a stranger's house and asking for candy. No, I, I mean, that's kind of... That That definitely is more for when communities were really small and tight-lit. <clears throat> right, and everybody, and everybody knew, knew everybody. Everybody. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. was that related to everybody. That's true, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's not that way anymore. Uh-huh. And in central Pennsylvania, Thanksgiving is practically a synonym with rifle season. Yeah. Ethan would have comments about that if he were here. (laughs) (laughs) And many now begin their Christmas festivities in conjunction with or even before the Thanksgiving holiday. And even though the rich history of all three holidays finds its origin in the multifaceted beliefs of ancient cultures, if you are a person of faith, there is still merit and greater meaning to each of them. And each teaches the lesson of unity, giving grace and joy in their own way. And nothing can diminish the true significance of Christmas. Yeah. Like just because someone decided a long time ago, we don't really know when Jesus was born. So we're just going to put it on December 25th because we don't like this pagan Roman holiday. Right. Right. Pick this day. It's probably more like April. Sometime in April, I think, is when when it's been determined. But, you know, it doesn't change the significance of what at least we're still celebrating that as yeah a day and hopefully still teaching our children that that is the reason and santa's fun and all Mm -hmm. but there is a better meaning for the day yeah so that was our bonus episode. Hopefully everybody learned something that they didn't know before because I didn't know pretty much any of that. So we're taking away a whole bunch of fun facts today. And I hope that that was entertaining for everybody. And we will see you in the new year. And again, if you guys have any ideas or thoughts about anything that you want us to talk about, if any of like we just read through this and I'm like, hey, we should talk about that and that. Uh-huh. If any of that sounds good to you guys, uh, definitely reach out to us and let us know. Otherwise, I hope all of your Halloween giving us holidays were, were good. And we will again see you next year. Happy New Year, everyone. Thanks, guys. If you liked what you heard in this episode, be sure to follow Pennsylvania Life, Legends, and Lore on your preferred podcast platform to stay up to date on new content. Pennsylvania Life, Legends, and Lore is produced by Harv Productions, LLC.